we come together as His body, that is not just an empty response. It is a real response of gratitude. We get to hear somebody like Bobby read the Word to us and to get to open it together. It was a year ago this morning, as we were, Rob and I were just thinking back on contemplating, it was a year ago this morning that uh, our uh, church and, and San Luis Obispo was having a send-off service for us. And we, we were just kind of contemplating this morning and thinking back uh, starting tomorrow, we, we got in a car and, and drove this way. And I look, think back on uh, just this year and um, what God has done and how He's working in Bethany Church in our lives, and uh, I'm filled with gratitude. It's sort of an emotional day. You think about leaving and starting somewhere new, and, uh, but that's what this morning held for us. Uh, and grateful uh, as we come into the close of this first year here uh, to be able to open the Word with you again. So as we come, it's great to have you here this morning to hear God's Word. As we've said, we often say at Bethany Church that God speaks in His Word and that when we open God's Word, He speaks to us. So a question that we like to ask, question I like to ask, um, is does the Word of God shape me? Or do I shape the Word of God? Our desire, my heart's desire at Bethany Church is to, to let God be God. To let His Word be what speaks and drives us as we continue to ask, does God get to be God at Bethany Church? We have to keep asking that as we open His Word week after week. The Word is what we aim to to, to build, to collectively build our life around as we're seeking here at Bethany Church to continue on the rich tradition and recapture and renew that rich, vibrant New Testament view and practice of connected community, of church life here, as spoken of in the Gospels and in the, the book of Acts and the new church, early church. One of the tools we're doing that, using to do that is through um, covenant membership here at Bethany Church. So excited that this morning we just wrapped up our uh, first round of classes as we're rebooting. We've had uh, membership here, a long history of it, uh, but just wrapped up our first reboot uh, round this morning. And we'll have another one in the coming uh, months, uh, probably a, maybe a Saturday all-day class, or not all-day, a few hours, um, but one time I mean. Uh, in the summer so you can do all sessions at one time coming up. Well, I want to encourage each and every one of you um, to consider that as we move forward life together here at Bethany Church. Well, we're making our way through one of the oldest of the Gospels, the oldest Gospel, the Gospels being the four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which uh, record the life, of uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mark was written sometime in the 50s A.D. in the lifetime of many of the eyewitnesses there of Jesus' resurrection. And as we've been noticing, it's action-packed uh, gospel, full of more of Jesus' actions than His words. Do you remember that? More of His actions there. And so my encouragement was to us as we uh, open this gospel and continue was to picture ourselves alongside of Jesus on the road. Right there next to Him with Him and His disciples on the road as He the crowds press in on him as the enemies come around him and begin to gather as there's dust and tension and the sounds and, and smells, maybe not the smells, but um, to picture ourselves there, to be there with him traveling on the road. You get the idea. Well, today I want us to enter into this scene in chapter 2. This claustrophobic, because really it is, crowded, electrically charged, you might say, encounter that Jesus has at his house, or at least where he was, where he was crashing, where he was staying. He didn't really have a, a, a true home. 
and he was teaching from on this day. I want us to enter into that house and, and let us watch as Jesus continues to incrementally, step by step, reveal himself to the people. In an encounter of sickness and death and faith and evil, where we'll see that the Son of Man is really the only one who can ultimately meet our needs. Your needs. My needs. Including, this morning, the deepest need of all. We're going to see something to believe, something to encounter, and something to see this morning. Something to believe, something to encounter, and something to see. So grab your outline, have your text open to Mark chapter 2. As we begin with another question today, what's your deepest need? I was asking you to write it down. Maybe you want to do that. To write down, what's your deepest need right now if you were to think about that? And survey your life and think through whatever's going on, trials or different things. What is your deepest need? And if you were to ask me that on any given day, it might be a different response. What do I feel that I need? What do I think that I need today? You might get a different answer. Sometimes I feel like my greatest need is just to be heard or to be affirmed or to have, uh, sometimes have my back stop hurting sometimes, honestly. Some of you can relate to something like that. How about you? What do you see as your greatest need? What do you need? Is it companionship? Or love? Health? A new job? Understanding spouse? Or to be free from some nagging ailment maybe? Or maybe a serious health concern like we're going to see in our story today. A man who is paralyzed. Paralytic. He had, obviously, didn't he, great need. Really great need. Well, Jesus, as He comes to this man's need today, He was back home in Capernaum. Back home where uh, there was a room filled with all kinds on now, as we get to Mark 2, all kinds of, of curiosity seekers. People wanting to find out who this Jesus was. Some were probably new disciples, new followers. Hanging on his every word. What's, what's he going to say next? What's he going to do as Mark tells us? He's there preaching is what he's doing. New followers just listening to his next sermon. Others were there maybe to see, what's all this fuss about, this Jesus guy? Or they were walking by and he just said, yeah, look at the crowds over there. Let's go check it out. We've been there at a place before. I just think of being at the zoo with my kids and just like, all it takes is like four or five people that a few more kind of go, don't they? And all of a sudden when there's like a critical mass, everybody in the zoo is flocking to that one place. Sometimes actually nothing's going on. It's just sort of a crowd thing that happens. <laughs> we had that happen. But he, there was something going on here on this day. Some were saying, let's go check it out. Look at that house. There's people all around it. And they're, just, they're all around it. In fact, it was so crowded, people had pushed up to the door. Did you hear that? And there's probably crowded windows and people looking in. And dust all in the air from all the commotion. And the sun beating down on them on this, this claustrophobic, crowded day. So crowded, standing room only. You couldn't sit down. Actually, there was one group, though. Did you hear that? There was one group that was sitting. Mark says, now some of the scribes were sitting. They were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Everybody else is standing. It's just so crowded. The scribes, they're, they're, they're sitting. They've got their seat. Maybe picture them right up front at the place of honor. Luke lets us know in the parallel account, because Gospels do that, parallel accounts. Luke lets us know 
There were Pharisees there too, not just scribes. And in Matthew, Jesus responds to them this questioning in their hearts. In Matthew, Jesus responds even with the word, why are you thinking evil in your hearts? There was a group there sitting that day, probably looking like this. <laughs> you know, I mean, if, you, if you're thinking of the way they're described, or to put it in our own political terms, think of them as the special appointed counsel for the investigation of young rabbis. That was who was sitting there. There's a lot of counsels in the news lately. Too many. It's like, another one? What are they, so much investigation. But that's what they were doing, probably. Um, to say the least, this is a really dramatic scene. Really dramatic. And there in the middle, we have a calm, collected Jesus. In the middle of it, doing what he does, preaching the word to them. Let's pick up in Mark chapter 2, verse 2, as I turn there myself. Chapter 2, verse 2 through 4. And many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door. And there he is. What's he doing? He was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. When they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Here's the first thing I want us to contemplate this morning. The first thing to believe is that when we believe in Jesus, we too will want to bring others to him. When we believe in Jesus, we want to bring others to him. Hope you got your outline there and fill in to follow along to help you. Some of us love those fill-in things and visual, and some just like to listen. We want to provide tools for all of us so we can follow along. When we believe certain things, when you and I, I believe something, truly believe it, when we believe something, we, we, we act upon it. I believe this is the Word of God, truly, so I stand up and I preach it with conviction and, and passion. Let me tell you, if I didn't believe that, I don't have too much to say to you. <laughs> I don't have too much to do or offer if I didn't believe that. So we act upon it. We, and you gather and you come on a Sunday because you probably believe it too. Or at least you're curious. But if you believe it, you're here and you want to hear it. Uh, you believe you need water to live, so what do you do? You drink it. You act upon that belief. You believe that if you don't show up to work, you'll be fired. So you show up to work. We act upon it. We act upon what we see and believe to be true. The truth. Well, here we see these four friends go to incredible lengths to get their paralyzed friend to Jesus. Imagine you're in that room. And you had a seat in the front row there, crowded right up probably to Jesus' feet there. And all of a sudden, a little bit of dirt falls on your head. Just a little bit. And you're like, what is that? And you brush it away. And all of a sudden, a little more, and then a bit more, and then you hear something. It sounds like somebody's pounding and sawing through the roof. Right above Jesus' head. Roofs at that time were made of planks that were laid this way, and then a, a cross-section of of branches and mud was all packed into it, and they'd have to change it, I think, yearly uh, after winter and, and weather. Um, so you could actually get through it and saw through it. Um, well, Jesus is there. And imagine, he just kind of stops teaching, and where would he look? Up, obviously, right? There's dirt falling in, there's noise, people are starting to kind of get a little, a little commotion there. And all of a sudden, a large square of the roof is pulled back. 
this dust and, and, and branches and, and shafts of light come now in down upon the, uh, the, the people sitting inside of there. And Peter's probably yelling, what are you doing to my mother-in-law's roof? You know, standing there as well. That's probably where they were at. And Jesus looks up. And then a man, the hole's the size of about a man, and all of a sudden something becomes lowered through. And a stretcher comes down, and, and there's a man you see on it, and you look back up, and there's four faces like this. <laughs> looking through this hole. That's what's happening here. Do we get him down? Is he close enough to Jesus? Do we get him? Let's think about these four friends for a minute. To go to this extreme length that I've just described that Mark writes for us, for their friend, they first of all, they must have really loved him. To go to this extreme length for him. The crowd didn't deter them. They probably got there with him on the stretcher and carried it there and they show up and there's a crowd. We can't get in. What are we going to do? We can't get in. And then the one buddy named Rufus says, let's try the roof. Right? They're not deterred. They're not deterred. They loved him. They were going to extreme lengths for this guy. They loved him. They were going to get him in. But you would only go to these extreme lengths if you loved him and also really believed that Jesus could actually do something. Really trust that Jesus could do something. That was the reality. The kingdom of God was breaking in in this area. The king had come. He was breaking in and doing something new. Remember, we've called it spring. Spring had come. That was the reality. And they had this incredible, persistent, and you would say creative faith to cut a roof that Jesus could heal. That he was somebody who could do something about their friend. So they did what they could to get him in. And Mark 5 records in verse, uh, he records in verse 5 in chapter 2 that Jesus saw their faith. He saw an action, didn't he? The cut roof, the, the coming down on the, the stretcher. Jesus saw their faith, Mark says, and it endeared his heart to them. He looks at the paralytic and what, is, what does he call him? Son. He's a son. It endeared his heart to them. If you and I believe, truly believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, the great healer and restorer of all things. If we truly believe that, what we want to bring others to that? And to Him? At the center of that belief? If He's true reality now, and everything else in this world that gives us answers and meaning and purpose and a a happy life and security, maybe all good things, but if He's the ultimate reality, And every person in this world, if not living in relationship with him, is living in some other kind of world, not reality, and we believe that? Don't you want to bring others to that reality if you've trusted him? Like these friends. If he's the very thing humanity needs, true reality, like these friends, let us too have that desire just stoked a little bit more in us today. Just even a little bit that desire to, to, to bring people to Jesus, or better yet, it's our, our sub-point there, better yet, bring Jesus to them. To them. He was standing there in that room, and there was a place they could go. And if, but if you're a follower of Jesus, 
you've placed the weight of your life on him and believed, it means he dwells now inside you, in his spirit. So where you go, he goes with you. Whoever you encounter, you're taking Christ with you to that place. You know, we can invite people here to hear a sermon, to encounter Jesus, and we should. It's a great way if we've got friends that want to come to church, if they're curious and interested. Or we can invite them to an event like we had yesterday, Priscilla Shire, that simulcast. And that's good. But you and I, we go out every day into places where we come into contact with people who need Jesus. Where you and I can bring Jesus to them. We can bring Him to them. That childhood song is simple but profound. You know it. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. We could probably keep going, couldn't we? But I think we know it. You, you do know it. It's so simple, but that's the reality here. When you go out, we take Christ with us because He dwells inside of us. This little light of mine, I want to let it shine. You think about your day that way? I struggle with that. The people you come and encounter to, 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 to see and hope that conversations would turn to the gospel. You know, our men's group is reading a book right now called Turning Gospel Conversations into Everyday Conversations. We're actually thinking about how could you do that? And we're actually studying a little tool to help us share the gospel. It's just a tool, but it's something to help us share the gospel. And uh, because we're thinking and trying to think in those terms, because it is hard, it is scary, but there's little tools and things, and maybe we'll, as a church, we'll even go through that little tool as well in the future so that we're prepared if the conversation happens to go that way. Or maybe if we even direct it that way. Well, these four friends, they take their friend to Jesus, and I hope we do as well, want to do the same. But when they do, the unexpected happens. The absolutely unexpected thing happens here. The greatest need they thought he had, the greatest need he thought he had. Jesus turns it upside down. It's the thing we encounter. So it was a thing to believe. Now here's the thing we encounter. When we encounter Jesus, he shows us our deeper need. As he did with the paralytic, as he does, does with us today, the friends are probably standing there thinking, yes, we got him in. We got him down there. Watch this Jesus work his miracle magic. We did it. He will be healed for sure. Look at verse 5. He says, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Son, your sins are forgiven. You know, if I was there, Maybe if I was that man even, or I was his friend, I would probably be thinking, um, thanks and all, Jesus, uh, but it's pretty obvious what my real need is here. Thanks, Jesus. Uh, that's not it. I appreciate that. You know, your sentiments, I got it. I, I got it. I interrupted the middle of a sermon. Maybe that's where you're at in the sermon. But that's not my real need. Can't you see my body doesn't work? Can't you see this, Jesus? I have a greater need here. My friends cut the roof for this need. And Jesus, he's not dismissive of that. 
as we know, He cares for us both body and soul. And he's already, we've already seen Him heal people. He's not dismissive of that, but by addressing His sin, and it's highly likely that in this case, His illness was caused by His sin. We don't like to hear that. That's kind of a hard one. But the body and soul, they're not isolated. As modern medicine would like us to believe, there's like a, a straight line, or maybe we don't even have a soul. They're connected. And we assume there's, no, uh, there's a boundary between body and soul. Even, even as Christians, we can think that. that there's this c- cut line between body and soul. Now, that does not mean that there is a one-to-one equation with illness and a person's sin. Jesus says that in other places. Did you heal him? Was, is he blind because he was more sinful? No. It doesn't mean that at all. At all. And look at Job. No one more righteous who suffered more. It doesn't mean that. But we'd be fooling ourselves to say that there's no connection between body and soul. And that deep, egregious sin that's unrepentant doesn't actually also impact our body. We know that even with people know that about stress and anger even, right? What does this do when there's stress and anger in your soul to your, your veins and your heart? It's not good for us. We're not machines, all that to say. We're comprehensive. We're integrated, both body and soul, and sin impacts every part of us, and that's probably what was happening with this, this man in this case, at least. As Jesus addresses his sin first, probably what was happening. You can imagine the response if you went to the doctor and said, uh, Doc, I've got this pain in my side, and he said, have you thought about uh, seeking forgiveness? He would be like, but that's what's happening here. That is what's happening here. The deeper need is forgiveness. The deeper need is forgiveness. Jesus knows that as severe as this man's physical problem is, and it it was a big deal, there was a bigger problem than even his physical condition. He says, I see you are suffering, and we will get to that. It's like he's saying that to the man. But Jesus wants you and I to see in this encounter at least, in this encounter, that the main problem in our lives is not the suffering we go through, but the sin in our lives. I know that's hard to hear. It sounds insensitive even coming from Jesus. And maybe even say you hear it and you say, that sounds even offensive coming from Jesus. But that's what he's saying. He's pointing to a greater deeper need to be a forgiven person that's the deeper need that's going on here to be a forgiven person and that's a whole person that's a whole person and i know even now myself as i hear this and some of us sin is welling up inside us and saying i get it forgiveness is important but i've got bigger issues jeff it just does that i work that way i do too I mean, look at the circumstances of my life, you might even be thinking. How could that be a bigger issue? I've got really big issues. And here's the thing, though. A lot of those issues, and actually most of them in our life, we can't control. We can't control the circumstances of life. What's happened to us and what has been done to us. Or maybe will be. Doesn't mean we dismiss them. They they do form us. They do shape us. They do need to be addressed at times as we talk, as we grow, as we seek counsel. All those things. It's not, Jesus is not dismissing them or what's going on with the paralytic. 
But you actually can't do that much about what's happened to you or what's done to you. But you can do something about the state of your soul. You can do something for yourself. You can do something to how we respond to those circumstances. We can do that. It's actually liberating if you think about it that way. To realize that there's many things in my life I cannot undo or change. But how I respond and deal moving forward, God gives me a lot of tools to use. You can address yourself and the forgiveness that changes you from the inside out. That's what Jesus is doing with this man. He knows he's got a really big issue. He's paralyzed. He knows that. But you can address your heart. And that's really what sin is. It's responding to the circumstances of life as if God doesn't exist. That's really what sin is. Responding to the circumstances of life as if God didn't exist, as if you don't need Him. And every time we sin, that's actually what we're doing. Every time we sin. It's never just about a rule. We've got to hear that. Sin is never just about rule-keeping and breaking a rule or keeping a rule for rule's sake. It's about living outside of the fundamental reality that there is a God who made us and the way He's prescribed is the way life flourishes and functions best in what pleases Him. It's much deeper sin than just breaking a rule. That you're a creature who's made by God who needs a Savior. That's what sin is about. You know, Jesus is saying to this man, Look, I can fix your circumstances. And he does. But if you think that's going to solve all of life's problems, he's saying to this paralytic, you're not going deep enough. You're not going deep enough. He's saying to the man, to his friends, to everybody in that room that day, you're not going deep enough. But you know you need something, and so I do as well. And so what happens? We have all these needs that well up and compete and that try to outpace each other in our desires of needs that we have. And I look at them and I say, if I could just have this one met, or that one met, if I just had this, if God would just give me this wish, I would be a whole person then. But each and every one of us knows That the discontent or our capability of being discontent, my capability of being discontent, goes much deeper than that. Doesn't it? Much deeper than that. I mean, let's even think about this here with Jesus. If Jesus would have only healed his body, this man would have been euphoric, ecstatic, overjoyed for a season. But the broken discontent would return and someday his body again would decay, the broken discontent would return. And Jesus sees him, and the problem he wants to address is the problem of our hearts. And have us see that we build those hearts on other needs, other things that will ultimately disappoint. And someday each and every one of them will disappear. Even if it's a person you love, that we build our life on every day, Every one of us, every one of those needs will someday, they'll all disappear, and we will too, right? We will too. We will disappear too. 
And the truest need is always something deeper. Now let me say those needs in and of themselves are not wrong. The need the paralytic had and wanted and desired with all his heart was not wrong or bad. It's not wrong for the paralytic to want to walk. It's not wrong for you to want to be removed from the suffering in your life right now. That's not wrong. It's not wrong if you're sitting here you're just wanting to be loved, liked, secure, even successful. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. But the problem is that those desires, they're too small. They're actually too small. The fact is, the problem is that we think that getting those deepest needs and desires and fulfilled will make us whole, will heal us, will make you and I just finally feel okay. I finally feel okay. When the biggest need is just to let Jesus be your Savior. That's the biggest need. And I'm talking to us as Christians now too. Not just those that have come to, or that need Christ to save for the first time, but us too as Christians. The paralytic is face to face with the one who could meet his deeper need. His need of forgiveness from God. That's who he's there in front of. If he actually knew the stakes and who he was in front of, he would have seen that his greater, deeper need was always forgiveness. Always forgiveness from God, which is our next sub-point. Forgiveness from God. That's what Jesus does in this, this strange little story here. Forgiveness from God is what Jesus shows them. How do we know that he's saying that? How do we know that even this text, you would say, Jesus is claiming to be God? You could use this text with somebody that doesn't believe Jesus is God. How do we know that? Look at uh, 6 through 11. Let's read it one more time. It's a short passage, so we can read through it again. Pick it up in verse 6. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there after he said, Sons, your sins are forgiven. They were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, Pick up your bed and go home. The scribes and Pharisees, they actually help us out, don't they? In their response. They help you and I out today. They sort of take us, they kind of take us there, a place they really didn't want to go, but they thought Jesus and knew he was going. Wait a minute, Jesus. We've been sitting here peacefully listening to you teach with our arms crossed. (laughs) And we've been tracking you so far. But how dare you say his sins are forgiven? Are you so bold, Jesus, so brash, so disrespectful to say that you speak for God and you have the authority to forgive forgive sins? How do we know that's what Jesus is saying here? Okay, think about this situation. When you're, you're, let's say it's your kids or somebody, even a couple guys, they get in a fight, Right? And there's three people there. And it's maybe your kids fight, and one of them, they're just angry with each other and frustrated, and one of them kind of just does one of these and pops the other one. And it's your teenage kid, so he's got a cut over his eye, not your five-year-old. And let's say, let's say Johnny got frustrated his brother Brandon, and Brandon's been annoying Johnny all day, and so Johnny just rears back and clocks Brandon right on the face. 
And Brandon's got a split eye. And he's bleeding, and it's going to take a few stitches. And I walk over as their dad, the third party there. And I look at them and I say, it's okay, guys. I'm going to take care of this. I I got it. I'm going to take care of this. And I look at Johnny and I say, Johnny, I forgive you for punching Brandon in the face. Everything's okay. How would Brandon respond? (laughs) Think about that for a minute. I didn't forgive him. You can't forgive him. He didn't punch you in the face. I'm the one bleeding here. He didn't sin against you. He sinned against me. So when Jesus says to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, he's essentially saying to him, I can forgive you because everything you've ever done wrong has ultimately been against me because I'm God. That's what's happening here. That's what's happening here. Every need you tried to fill your heart with, every sin you've ever done has ultimately been against me. I mean, who could say that to another person? Your sins are forgiven. Other than the God who had made that person. Who could forgive him and put his life back together again other than the one who made him and had the power to do so? That's what's happening here. Jesus is claiming to be God by forgiving sins because he's the one who's been sinned against. And they're understandably upset. Blasphemy, they say. They get it. They, are, they understand. And these are powerful, influential guys in this community. And they're now saying to Jesus, blasphemy. Not only that, Mark tells us Jesus knows their thoughts, doesn't he? He's omniscient too. Who's omniscient but God? You've got two things in this little tiny story that point to Jesus' divinity. And it's at that moment that Jesus had a choice. At that moment, Jesus had a choice. The question comes from the Pharisees, and I don't know, maybe in his humanity, his mind kind of went there. Do I want to tangle with these guys? Because here's the moment where it starts. Or maybe take the easy way out. Hey guys, I'm, I, I'm just messing around. Let me heal them and let's forget about this whole mess and we'll have a big party here today. But that's not what we see. He says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has this authority to forgive sins. I'll heal his body too. Rise up and walk. And he does. The paralytic, he stands up. He obeys in faith, himself probably thinking, when I send the signal from my brain to my legs, is it going to work? And he obeys. He responds in obedience and trust. He sends that signal to his legs and arms and they work and i love how charles spurgeon described him i think i see him he sets one foot down to god's glory he plants the other to the same note he walks to the god's glory he carried his bed to god's glory he moved his whole body to the glory of god he speaks he shouts he sings he leaps to the glory of god home and the room explodes with joy doesn't it God who had to have and and laughter and hugging and they probably dove in from the roof down on the floor the four friends but not the scribes and probably not Jesus because at that moment there is no going back for Jesus you know we've only just begun chapter two and there's no going back a lot of theologians describe it commentators that right here at this moment Jesus steps in to the shadow of the cross for you. 
because there's no going back now. There's no going back. He'd just begun the conflict with these men who would be the men who take Him to the cross for you. Aren't you glad Jesus chose that moment to step into the shadow? I am. He had that moment. It was that moment where He said, all right, this starts it. This is it. There's no going back from this. You know, they had just got a foretaste right here in this, a shadow as well by seeing the paralytic healed and hearing of the forgiveness of sins. But, and yet, it wasn't even actualized yet. Jesus hadn't died and rose, but here was the response of the crowd. Will it be yours too? Here it is. When we see Jesus taking a giant step into the shadow of the cross, we should glorify God. Because that's what we see Him doing. There was choices all along the way that He made that led to the cross. Verse 12 finishes up. They were all amazed. And they glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. We never saw anything like this. Because we actually, as we now think of our response in real time here in this service, we not only get to hear about forgiveness, we get to know that it's been accomplished. He kept going in the shadow. He kept going on the dark road. He kept heading towards Golgotha and didn't turn back. He kept going and walking directly and marching towards it even though everybody along the way said, that's not the way. The cross stopped Jesus. He kept going. What if, here's a question, what if Jesus doesn't, now here for us, what if He doesn't fill the need you think you need? What if He doesn't do that for me? I mean, he did it for the paralytic, but he didn't for everybody. There was many that, crowds that came. Remember last week even? We've got to go to the other town. I've got to teach. They're just, we're going to have to leave. I've got to go preach. He didn't do it for everybody. He did for the paralytic. Does knowing that you're forgiven, is that enough? Does knowing you're, 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 you're secure and forgiven and restored to your maker, will that be enough? even if the deeper need that you think is your deeper need isn't met? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. So God may not, in the here and now, give you and I exactly what we think we need, but is the deeper need enough? He did give it to the paralytic. He did care for both body and soul. We saw it there. It was beautiful. Your, your sins are forgiven. Rise up and walk. The two came together right there. Body, physical, spiritual, all right there and just exploded in that room. He did care for both body and soul. And we said He came to restore everything, didn't He? Not just the spiritual, but the physical. And while spiritual restoration is, is in process, so too is physical. And So, in God's wisdom, we don't all get that need met but one day one day both will be accomplished do you believe that one day not only the spiritual but the physical too you will get that deeper need listen to isaiah 35 just listen to the words 
It's a short little chapter I want us to hear. Listen to the words of Isaiah 35. It's a picture. He's speaking of a future day, a future time. I'm losing stuff all over the place today. A future time, a future day when the fulfillment and restoration of all things will happen. It's a picture of the physical and the spiritual restoration Jesus showed the paralytic here. Here it is. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with recompense of God. He'll come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame man shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of the jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes and highways shall be there. And it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. And sorrow and sighing shall flee away. That's how it finishes. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Be gone. And then, you know what we'll say, too? We never saw anything like this. We never saw anything like this. Jesus, we've never seen anything like this. Here it is. The physical, the spiritual, finally put back together. Everything's been made whole. So if that's reality, bring others to it, to Him. Bring them to it. Think about you. Have you seen your deeper need if that's reality of forgiveness? And as Jesus, as He steps into the shadow of the cross here in Mark 2 and and keeps it on, Let's just keep responding that way. Glorifying that one who faced the road and walked the dark road to the cross. And let's just keep saying, we've never seen anything like this and you definitely, we never will for what's coming. Let's pray. Lord, there is great hope in the midst of our suffering as we look at the paralytic. It does mean wrestling for us, each and every one of us, because it's just a matter of time. Uh, that each and every one of us will face deep anguish, deep loss, deep suffering. It is a wrestling that we must do with you, God. I want that to be clear. This is not simple, but there's a reality we have to wrestle with as you spoke to this man that we have a deeper need of just living 
in reality, which means living with you as our Savior, as forgiven people. So help us see that today. And in light of that, when those other needs don't seem to be met, or you're saying wait rather than a yes, or maybe ultimately this side of heaven for your purpose, say wait till eternity. Lord, help us wrestle with that and help us understand that someday we will see it. And someday we will say and ultimately truly mean it, we have never seen anything like this. Give us that hope of eternity in the here and now. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.